Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your Son who is the truth and the way and the life. The one that through him we can have the fullness of joy. One who sends us your very spirit to live within us and opens who opens the truth of God to us and grounds us there and answers our questions there and heals our emotional and inner hurts. Thank you. Thank you for the word that we're going to look at today. Fifth chapter of Romans. Just a very simple prayer. I'm asking you to do what I cannot. Asking you to take your word, keep me out of the way, apply it to the hearts and minds of these dear people. Show them, give them the faith to believe it, show them how to apply it, and the determination and will to go from here and to be not only a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Ask you for that. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen, amen. Would you please open to Romans chapter 5. I want to, before I begin, give you a, an announcement, an invitation, a challenge. For some period of time, I've longed for a new aspect of our ministry here on Sunday morning, and I'd like uh, at least to extend a call, see if that we can begin that, looking to get a couple of teams of people who every Sunday morning would, during our services, be praying for what's going on here. So we've got two services now, so you can, you'd like to be a part of that, God calling you to that prayer ministry, you'd you could come to one service and participate in here and be a part of the prayer team that's praying over the service the other time and be great to have just a, a group of people. I mean, one or two would be great, 10 or 12 would be better, but just praying over our services, praying the Word of God would go out. And so if you'd like to at least get some more information about that after the service, I'm going to just be over there by the fireside room door across the hallway and I'll just kind of cast a little vision for that and let you know how you could be a part of that if you'd like to. Romans chapter 5, verse 11. We're going to continue in our study, and this is a section of Scripture, verses 1 to 11, where Paul is communicating kind of a key central thought, and what he's talking about here are the blessings of justification, the blessings of salvation. And down through these 11 verses, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 5, he has been outlining for us what several of those blessings are, justification itself, peace with God, access into grace, 
the presence of the Holy Spirit shedding abroad the love of God in our hearts and on and on down through these 11 verses. And today we're going to wrap this section up and bring it to a close with verse 11. Let me read that verse for you. Reading out of the English Standard Version, Romans 5.11, Paul goes on to say, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I want to park for a little while on the phrase, we also rejoice in God. I want to talk about that phrase, explore its context or concept and unpack its meaning. First of all, what does it mean to rejoice in God? Let me answer that by the negative aspect of that question. What does it not mean to rejoice in God? To rejoice in God does not mean to be void of sorrow. It doesn't mean the absence of sorrow. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, talking about the experience of a believer, says they're sorrowful yet yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. So sorrow and rejoicing can both at the same time be in the life of a believer. In fact, in fact, sorrow can enhance our joy. Sorrow can enhance our joy, and here is how that happens. When sorrow comes, it should turn our eyes to the eternal. It should turn our eyes unto heaven. It should help us to focus with eyes of faith on that which is above and beyond this world and onto the joy and peace that's going to come when we are taken by the Lord to be with Him forever. So sorrow can actually be an enhancement when properly understood uh, to our joy because one day God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He will remove every scar. He will heal every hurt fully and completely. Nehemiah 18.10 says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy, rejoicing gives us the strength to endure the sorrows and the struggles of life. So, to rejoice in God does not mean to have an absence of sorrow. What does it mean? What is Paul specifically telling us here in verse 11 to rejoice in? I want you to see that clearly. Because rejoicing has been a repetitive theme in these 11 verses. Look at verse 2. Paul tied our rejoicing to our hope of the glory of God, that hope that we have that one day when Christ returns, we're going to be like Him, we're going to be glorified in His presence, and that causes us, because of what God is going to do for us, causes us to rejoice. He expands the borders of that rejoicing in verse 3, and he said, you can even rejoice in your suffering. Even not just in heaven, but right here on earth you can rejoice because you can know 
for certain that in the midst of your sorrow and your struggles, God is working in them to do a good thing in you, to strengthen you, to give your hope a firmer foundation. But here in verse 11, he gives us a different aspect, a different reason, a higher reason for our rejoicing because he tells us in verse 11 that we are to rejoice in God, in God himself, not simply for what God does for us, but in his person. The attributes of God, every attribute of God, every aspect of His being is a worthy cause for our rejoicing. I'm going to talk to you about a few of those in the second half of this message, so just kind of put that on hold. So that's what it means to rejoice. Who should rejoice in God? What I'm going to do now is I am just going to throw you several different verses about rejoicing and just kind of give you a real quick biblical overview of rejoicing. So first of all, who should rejoice? Psalms 32.11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. The life of joy is the fruit of a right relationship with God. It's the fruit of of a right relationship with God. Some call God a killjoy. Claim that He is a God who does not want us to have any fun. When in fact, there is no bigger lie than that. God is actually the author of joy. He is the source of joy Himself. What is the first cause of our rejoicing? Listen to Isaiah 12.3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. When an individual gets saved, they are drawing joy from the well of salvation. That's the initial moment when the joy of God comes into the life of that individual is when they receive Christ. But it's not only the first cause, your salvation is not only the first cause for your joy, it's always also the continuing cause for your joy. Luke chapter 10 verse 20 Jesus had sent some of his followers out to go out in his name and carry his power and his message to the villages that he would be going to. And they returned to him and brought a report about the great things that God had done as they went out and shared the truth and took authority over disease and demons and Jesus said to them in Luke 20, 10, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Should be an ongoing cause of our rejoicing that through Jesus Christ and Him alone, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Here in verse 5.11 of Romans, Paul says that we are to rejoice in God. It's a statement of fact for him. I want you to see that. This is, I believe, this is a picture of Paul's idea, his mindset about what should be the reality of the Christian life, that the Christian, that the believer's life should be a life of joy. It should not be something that we aspire to and 
is something that a few of the, maybe the upper echelon of spiritual people arrive at. It should be the common condition of the Christian community, a life of rejoicing. Now, folks, the reality is that is not the truth. I mean, that's not, as we look at the church, I, and I'm, I'm just as guilty of this as any of you are. But we are to be. It is the expectation of God and of His Word that if we are truly followers of Christ, we should be people, men and women of joy, rejoicing in all things. Henry Ironside said it like this, if a believer's joy disappears, we may be sure that something is wrong. Something needs to be put right. That's who should rejoice, believers. When should believers rejoice? Two things here, always and forever. Always and forever. Two verses of Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice to be the constant reality of the follower of Christ. And then forever, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice evermore. Rejoice evermore. George Mueller. George Mueller, I don't know if you've ever read the story of George Mueller. If you'd like to read biographies, I encourage you to read that biography called the Apostle of Faith, just an incredible, God answered countless miraculous requests of George Mueller just in astounding ways daily. George Mueller said, I never allow myself to begin the day without facing before God anything that has left me unhappy or distressed because I want to be before Him always in the Spirit of joyfulness. When our joy is lost, we at times blame others for that, but the truth of the matter is, he goes on to say, if our joy is gone, we have no one to blame but ourselves. It shows that we are out of fellowship with God. If that is how we are to live, Here's the next question. What enables a believer to live a life that rejoices in God, a life of continual joy? I'm going to give you four or five quick bullet points here on how that can be true of your life. Number one, rejoicing comes in a close walk with God. Rejoicing comes in a close walk with God. Psalm 1611 you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Being in God's presence is where the fullness of joy resides. In fact, joy in the Christian life is in direct proportion to the believer's walk with the Lord. Being out of fellowship, a loss of that intimacy, a loss of closeness with God is a, is a thief 
to steal away our joy. And what does that is sin. Sin that comes between us and God robs us of joy because it moves us away from close intimacy. And it's in the presence of the Lord where there is fullness of joy. Number two, rejoicing comes to those who listen and obey God's Word. Rejoicing comes to those who listen and obey God's Word. Jeremiah painted this picture in Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them and your words came, became to me a joy and the delight of my heart for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Picture, he pictures this as rolling up a scroll and eating that and the words of God going into him and those words in him became a source of his joy, a delight to his heart. And the picture here is of you taking the word of God into your life taking it in through your ears, through your eyes as you read it, your mind as you study it, and then consuming it, actually applying it, letting it go down and get in and take root and dictate your actions and your attitudes. Jesus said that there is a direct connection between God's Word in us and our joy in Him. Let me read the verse to you. John 15, 10, and 11. Jesus said, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Direct connection to God's Word in us and our joy in Him. Number three, rejoicing comes by the Holy Spirit. Rejoicing is a byproduct, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Acts 13.52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean for us? It means we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. We need to continually be filled with the Spirit of God. We need to be asking God to fill us with His Spirit because the Spirit is the source of joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. And then seven other things are listed as well. Jesus said, if you as parents know how to give good gifts to your children, will not also the Father, who is a greater Father, a greater parent than you, won't He also give you the Holy Spirit if you ask Him? Ask for the Spirit of God. Rejoicing. Number four, you ever consider this? Rejoicing comes to the evangelist. Rejoicing comes to the evangelist. 1 Thessalonians 2.19. Here is Paul writing to the church of Thessalonica. And he is talking in here, he makes a statement in here about what brings him great rejoicing before God. And here is what he says. 
2.19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? What Paul is saying there is that you, believers in Thessalonica, are a source of my joy because I preached the good news to you. I shared the truth of Christ to you. You believed it, and you were saved by your faith in Christ. And in heaven, you're going to be with me. You're going to be my crown and my joy there. Paul's a great evangelist. I don't know. I mean, certainly, we're not limited, but I don't know if any of us will aspire to Paul's evangelical uh, effectiveness. But what about you? What about you? Are you sharing the love, the grace of God through Jesus Christ to the people around you? Are you giving them an opportunity through the good news from your lips displayed in your life and heard from your lips so that they can receive that and be saved. If you are, it's going to be a cause of your rejoicing on that day. There is a verse of Scripture that states this and how great it will be when we stand in His presence on that final day, if we can say, here I am and the ones you have given me. Will you be able to say that? And then finally, number five, rejoicing comes by faith. Rejoicing comes by faith. Romans 15, 13 May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Did you hear that? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. You are filled with joy in believing. Why does joy require faith? Because it is with faith that you can look beyond your circumstances, even in the midst of struggles and trials, and you can see that although they are oppressing you, there is an omnipotent God over them that is working in the midst of them. It takes eyes of faith to do that. And through those eyes of faith, there is a joy released because you see that these are not the full story or even the big story, these problems, these trials, that there is a God over them. There is a God in the midst of them and a God working through them for my joy. It says in James, 15, James 5, 13, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs of praise. What I've asked the worship team to do is that we just take a pause right here for a few minutes and we just spend a song, some time singing a song, just giving us a moment to having been talking about rejoicing in God to do that through song. So let's stand and join them as we sing this.
seated just for a few more moments as we come to the last section of our study here this morning. I said earlier that every attribute of God is a cause, a reason for our great rejoicing. What I want to do though is I want to contain myself to just the 11 verses of Romans 5, first 11 verses. And I want to pull from there three attributes of God that I see clearly pointed to 
in those 11 verses that should cause us to rejoice in God. I'm not saying that this are, these are all the attributes of God concluded in Romans 5, 1 through 11, but three that I just want to point out to you. And number one is God's imminence. God is an imminent God. That means He's a close God. He's a near God. Let me show you one place where that nearness is hinted at, pointed to verse 5. Verse 5 of Romans 5, it says that the Holy Spirit has been given to us. That God through Jesus Christ has given the Holy Spirit to us. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God Himself. It's God that has given Himself to us. That gift of the Holy Spirit, it takes the closeness that Jesus had with His 12 disciples for three years as He walked and talked and slept and ate and lived and laughed and cried with them. It takes the nearness that He had with them to a whole new level for us. Because it takes it from the external to the internal God has given us His Holy Spirit. If you are truly a believer, you have the Spirit of the living God actually dwelling within you. That means you have God in you. God who was so close, so near, so imminent that He makes His dwelling inside of you. Think about how much closer this is. The disciples had a front row seat as Jesus walked near with them. They had a front row seat to His words and to His actions. What do we have? Oh, how infinitely closer and nearer because we actually are the ones that God speaks through now and works through now. He doesn't just do that beside us so that we can watch Him. He does that in us and through us as He dwells in us. He is an imminent God. So imminent because of the person of His Holy Spirit. A couple of other places that the nearness, the imminence of God is pointed to here in this passage. This passage is all about the justification, the salvation that God provided through Jesus' death and resurrection. It's the only way that you can be justified through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's the only all-sufficient Savior who could pay the price for your sin. But what set the stage for that to happen? It was His incarnation that made His crucifixion and His resurrection powerful to us. Here's what I mean by that. The incarnation is God coming down and marrying the divine nature with a human nature. It is God in human flesh so that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. And as fully God and fully man with the flesh of man, He had that flesh through the incarnation to pay the sacrifice that we commit in human flesh. So God 
did not just remain exalted, transcendent in the heavens. God became the imminent God that came down and lived beside us so that we could look him in the eye and so that he could take on our flesh and so that he could die to pay the penalty for our sin. He is an imminent God. And then also, God's imminence or near, nearness is seen in how he helps us in our sorrows, verse 3. He doesn't leave us in them by ourselves. In fact, the Word of God says that God does not allow any one of his children to be tempted beyond what they can bear. He doesn't give you a burden too big for you to carry. There is no burden too big. God will put it on a limited leash. He doesn't let it become too much for you. And in the midst of that, he is actually walking in it with you to help you stand up under it and make it through it and remain faithful regardless of the circumstances. So he is a God who is imminent so we can rejoice in our God, our imminent God. Here's another aspect, another attribute of God that I see so clearly in these verses and that is the attribute of God's power. Attribute of God's power. Verse 10 of Romans 5, Paul says, Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. We talked about this pretty extensively last week, but Christ not only died, He rose from death just like He said that He would, and we are saved by His death and by His life. It was His death that paid the penalty for our sins, and it is His life that gives new life to us. It is his life that invades our life in the midst of whatever is going on to help us walk through it with his presence and his power. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is an outbreak of the almighty power of God, the God who conquers death, the God who is himself life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. No one who comes to me will die, and everyone who does die will rise again. Talking about spiritual life there being eternal and that physical death does not have power over the resurrected life of Jesus Christ in the life of the believer. What can cause you to rejoice in God? Rejoice as you focus on His power. He is a God of power. Oh, that we would train our eyes to look and see there are testimonies of God's power every day all around us that we take for granted. But if we will train our eyes to see them for what they are, they will be a testimony to the power of God that will help us to live a life of rejoicing and then finally, number three, third attribute of God that I see so clearly in here may be portrayed in the letters of the New Testament, the letters of Paul most clearly right here, and that is that God is love. God is love. Verse 8 says, 
God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse tells us that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross is the greatest demonstration, the greatest proof of the love of God. Make a personal application of that truth right there to your life. Put this in your memory bank for when things come against you. If your enemy speaks up to spread the lie in your ear that God does not love you, look to the cross of Jesus Christ. Look to the cross of Jesus Christ. If the struggles of this life and the sufferings of this world rise up against the reality of the love of God for you, then what you need to do is you need to look to the cross of Jesus Christ. When the sufferings rise up to try to cast an ominous shadow over the love of God, remember that it is the sufferings of Jesus Christ that prove the love of God for you. When your sufferings begin to get the most of you, remember that it is His sufferings that won the victory for you. When your flesh is burdened and beaten down, look to the cross and let the spikes that were driven into the wrists and feet of Jesus be the thing that anchors the reality of the love of God in your mind because that is the greatest picture of the love of God ever displayed. And then if you... So we've talked about if the enemy rises up. We've talked about if the struggles of the world rise up. But what about just you? You and the own frailty of your flesh and the weakness of your human nature. What if that flesh wants to give up on God's love? When your flesh wants to give up, you know, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. When your flesh wants to give up, Look to the cross and the one who gave up his flesh for you. Look to the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Look to the cross of Jesus Christ and let the death of Christ reveal the undying love of God for you. We're going to close this service with communion, the worship team to come. But as we conclude this section, this great paragraph, Romans 5, 1 through 11 today, I want you to consider the great distance we have traveled. Just as a closing thought, where have we been in Romans? Earlier, in chapter 3, we stood silenced. Chapter 3, verse 10, there's no one righteous, not even one, the law of God says. Verse 12, there's no one who does good, not even one. 
Verse 19 brings that to a conclusion and it says, now we know that what the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. So there we are, as Romans has developed, we are silenced, condemned before a holy, righteous God in our sin, shut up in our sin. But now in Romans chapter 5, our Voices are opened. The grace of God has come. And no longer are we silenced, but we are shouting out with the joy of the Lord. Incredible section of Scripture. Listen, do not be content just to be reconciled. Oh, it's a great thing to be reconciled. But do not be content just to be reconciled. Move on to the greater gifts. Move on to rejoicing in God, being full of unspeakable joy in the Lord. As we end this section all about the justification purchased by Christ, we're going to take communion, and communion is the symbol of how that justification took place. It took place because Jesus' body was broken, the bread that we take, and because His blood was spilled, the juice that we consume. They are symbols to remind us of what has been paid to purchase justification for us and then make available to us all of the blessings that we have looked at in Romans 5, 1 through 11. So as we sing this special song here, ushers, would you come and pass the elements? You just receive those as they are passed as you remember what Christ has done.